Welcome to the LSQ Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe. Today's scripture reading is from Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Alexa. And welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square. Uh, just a quick note about uh, generosity and, and the men's retreat. You should do both. <laughs> Obviously, not everybody can do the men's retreat, and uh, not everybody can give in the same way. But that's why we say time, talents, and treasures, and we, we appreciate that. As uh, was said earlier, that that's how, uh, not only how our church works, but I think it's also how, as stewards of what's been given to us, it, it actually helps us um, be fully human in what it means to be uh, made in God's image. I saw a recent picture of Macaulay Culkin a couple weeks ago, and um, like a recent one, like what he looks like now. Macaulay Culkin was the star of the 90s movie Home Alone, which was about Christmas or around Christmas time. And the picture, I looked at the picture, I was like, oh, man, he looks so old. And, he, and he's just, you know, he, oh, my goodness. It just, I mean, look at him. And so I texted the picture to my friend. I was like, look at this guy. And he said, you know, he's like your age, basically. <laughs> and I said, oh, all right. And then he texted me, actually, links to deleted scenes from Home Alone. And one of those scenes is when the family that is distant from Kevin, Kevin is Macaulay Culkin's character who's, home alone for Christmas, and the family's in France, and the father is asking one of the, the daughters, what do you think Christmas is about? And the daughter says, you know, Christmas is that time, it's about when you can be fighting all year long, you can dislike each other, you don't, you don't really want to be with each other, but for that one day, you're family. And I started thinking about this, I said, I said well, you know what, if that's all Christmas is, where, you know, you basically don't like each other, but for one day you have to. It just feels like that's, a, that's a, a, a really lame view of Christmas. And so what I want to do today is I want us to ask, and I think it's the right time to ask, like, what is then Christmas really about? Which is actually another way of saying, what is this whole thing about Christmas in, re in relationship to Jesus? What is he about? There's so many different views about this time, Christmas time, and I want to get to the heart of it. So to answer that question... We're going to look at a text today that's not your traditional Christmas text, but I want to look at it 
through three questions to ask it. What do we normally seek? What should we seek? And what will we find if we seek it? I'll say it again. What do we normally seek? What should we seek? And then what would we actually find if we sought it? All right. First, what do we normally seek? Go to, look at our text. And it says, verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho, was passing through. And it says in verse 2, there was a man there. And we're told his name is Zacchaeus. And we're told two things. He was the chief tax collector and he was wealthy. The phrase chief tax collector, Bible, Bible trivia, this is the only place in, in the entire Bible this uh, Greek word shows up. And it implies that he wasn't just a tax collector. He was the chief tax collector, the head of the whole cartel that's in Jericho. 2,000 years ago, the Romans conquered this land and they did something that was ingenious. Instead of what a lot of civilizations did when they conquered people, they would take all their money and plunder them and kill everybody. Instead, they didn't do any of that. They, they left them there. They just heavily taxed them, kept them all alive, but then taxed them. And the way they did it, since they were foreigners in, in this land, they didn't know who were actually the ones who they can shake down to get the money. And so they hired, they uh, enlisted local people who knew the community to be the tax collectors. And they gave them Roman muscle and soldiers to, be, to go and shake down these individuals. And so these local people who were tax collectors, they were the most hated and despised people in the community because they literally sold out to the Romans. They were the definition of traitors. You could not be lower in society. And yet Luke says he had money, wealth, and he had power power because, right, he had the Roman soldiers, you know, at his beck and call. So if he didn't like you, he could, he could kind of get the Roman soldiers on you. That's power. And then money because the Romans always gave the tax collectors a set amount of money they had to raise, but these tax collectors always raised more than needed, and they pocketed that for themselves. So, and he had money and power because he was the chief tax collector, so he probably got kickbacks from the other tax collectors, which also gave him more power as well. And so the question is, why are we being told this? Because here's the point. Zacchaeus did not have love. He did not have respect in the community. So Luke goes out of his way and says, yeah, yeah, but he did have power and wealth. And why are we being told that? Because everybody in this room operates the same way. This is how we operate. I might not have friends. I don't have enough time for friends. I don't have a lot of friends. I'm a little awkward, but I do have money. Or I don't have really a lot of money. But, you know, people like me, and I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of, uh, I, I care about people, unlike those other people over there. And so whatever, whoever you are, we have our version of, I might not have this, but I have that. Did you know, here's a little, some more trivia. Did you know in the last 31 American presidential elections, 21 times the candidate who was the tallest won? Also, attractive people over the lifetime of their life, they make a lot more money than unattractive people, which is why I'm doing all right right now. Um, no, uh, but attractive people make more money. Zacchaeus, we're told, is, is short. And in this culture, and really in almost every culture, for men to be short, it was, an, it was negative. It was a, neg a negative trait. So Zacchaeus knew he wasn't going to win the popularity contest he wasn't going to win on his height. He wasn't going to win on his attractiveness. But you know what he's going to do? I'm going to win because I'm going to make chief tax collector. 
And so the question I want to ask us all before we move on is this. What do we normally seek? I, we seek things that we think will make us happy. That if we just get that, then I'll be okay. Why do you think you're tired today? I think a lot of us think we're tired because it's our job. And maybe that's true. There, there's some tiring aspects of our job. But is it possible that we're more tired because we're looking to our jobs to be our success and, our, and give us meaning and purpose? And because we need that, that's tiring us out. If you have children, children do tire you out physically. They, they definitely do. But it, there's a tiredness, a fatigue that you can get when you're trying to have the success of your children be your identity. When you need them to be, and if they're not, you're, you're, you're putting more effort and more um, value into your children because you need them to be. You see, the question that we need to ask ourselves is, are you asking from your marriage something that you shouldn't ask from your marriage? Are you, are you sure that you're not asking from your job something that your job can't give you? Are you asking from your marriage something that the marriage can't give you? Are you asking from your friends and your family things that your friends and family can't actually give you? Some of you are, you know, are trying to think ahead. So you're saying, oh, Mike, I know what you're going to do. You're going to say, I know what we need. We need to have God. We need to trust in him. That's what we need. But look at the people in, in our text, the crowd. These people in this time, in this context, they were God-fearers. They believed in God. And yet it didn't stop them from missing God. So that's not, that's not the full answer. See, I think you can live like a Christian. You can act like a Christian. You can even think you're a Christian. And yet, at the end of the day, you're still in your heart of hearts, which are to get meaning and purpose and identity, you're still using power, approval, comfort, control. See, money is just money, right? But money is a means to something else. You can, it's what's underneath that for Zacchaeus. What's it for us? What's it for you? What is it? That's what I want to know. What are we looking to? What are we desiring, hoping in to give us the love and respect and meaning and purpose and identity that it can't? Not ultimately. See, I think our biggest problem in New York, we have a lot of problems here, but I think our biggest problem is that we don't know this is probably our biggest problem. See, what I think a lot of us do, this is what we do. We say, you know what, yeah, 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 this is my issue. I know I probably overvalue some things. I know I'm probably working, you know, nose to the grindstone. I know I'm probably putting too much effort that if I just get the house or the apartment or this status or if I just go back to here or if I just can get what I used to have, we all say, yeah, 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 I know I have that. But guess everybody does that. That's, I'm just being human. Sure. But what's happening is we're putting needs for our persona, for our, the depth of our feeling that we're in and that we're okay on things that can't deliver for us. We're putting our hope into things that can't fulfill. And that's what we normally seek. And so right now, you could say in this room, you can say, I believe in God, but actually, the way you live your life is you actually believe in your job more. Just look at your week. See, I think in this room, you can say, hey, I care about people. I love people. I serve them. But deep in the, your heart of hearts, the reason why you love and care and serve them is because you like to feel like the kind of person that I'm the kind of person who loves and cares and serves for people, not like those people over there. And you're getting a little bit of something out of that that's really about you and not about them. 
That's how the heart can work. It can do that. And so I want to know, have you really identified? Can you enunciate? Can you describe what those things are for you in your day-to-day that you're seeking to feel accepted and loved and valued? And have you yet realized that those things will never be enough? That you can spend a lifetime, and people do. And yet we have, what's so interesting is we have example after example after example that people get finally what they want, and it doesn't get delivered. Or if it does for a little bit, it eventually goes away. Or if you do feel like it, you have it, then it gets taken away. That's what we normally seek. Now, number two, fine. What should we seek? Go back to our text. Zacchaeus had wealth and power, and yet, look at verse 3, he still wanted to see what, the phrase is to see who Jesus was. See, we're, and we're not actually sure why he wanted to, but, we're, but Luke gives us a couple clues. Notice it says he was short, and so he couldn't see over the crowd. Every year, the Thanksgiving Day Parade comes right down this road, right out here. And I've taken my kids to the Thanksgiving Day Parade a couple times. And every single time, because they're short, because they're small, they're, they basically are able to get between the spaces and get to the front. And nobody really minds that, because if, you know, you're taller, you can see over them. It doesn't bother you that, that you let them to the front. So why then was Zacchaeus prevented from getting to the front to see Jesus? The only possible reason is because they did not like Zacchaeus. They purposely were like, uh, you know, moving over here, moving over there, kind of, nope, 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 not letting you in. They did not like him. And yet, then what does Zacchaeus do? Right, you know, if, if for me or somebody else, you might say, well, I guess I'm not wanted here, and you'd go away, but not him. He does two things. Verse 4 he runs up a tree. Two things. Runs up a tree. And most of us don't bat an eye at that. We're like, yeah, what big deal. But you should because you need to know something about this context. Ancient Middle Eastern men did not run up trees. They were dignified. They wore robes. Robes were not conducive to running or going up trees. And if you were a patriarch, there was a sense of respect and value that you were trying to present that you would never do this. And for Zacchaeus, which I, which I find fascinating, this man desires, he craves dignity and respect from his peers, and yet it didn't stop him from running up the tree anyway. He runs up it despite what people might think about him, despite the shame, despite the ruinous nature of what you might see if you looked up under that tree, and just at the right angle, at the wrong time, not good. And yet, he does it. So here's the question. What should we seek? If the things of this world don't ultimately satisfy, if we all know that somewhere in the back of our heads, then rationally, you're supposed to seek something else. And at the very least, what this is saying here is, will you seek and desire at least to see who Jesus was? That's not even saying you have to necessarily believe. But we at least be curious and seek who Jesus was. That's what we should seek here. We shouldn't be afraid to sacrifice the things that we thought that we needed if we know that they're not actually going to give us what we know they can't. So Zacchaeus, what did he seek? He, just, he sought what he didn't have. He had, what did he have? He had money, he had power. But he didn't have respect. He didn't have um, the love of the community, he desperately wanted that, but he still went up that tree. He did. 
and he still broke the cultural norms to get up that tree. Are you willing to go up that tree? Are you willing to break the cultural norms of society? Are you willing to to associate? See, if you're not a Christian here today, are you willing to, to seek after him, even if it means that other people might see you seeking? If you are a Christian... Are you willing to associate with what it means to be a Christian, with with the Christian people, even if other people see that? Are you willing to lose clout and respect? Are you you willing to have people kind of be like, to be able to get a glimpse of Jesus? At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after worship on Sundays. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us at Q&R on a Sunday morning. And now, back to this week's sermon. When I was, um, when, right before Redeemer Lincoln Square started, this is like seven years ago, uh, I wanted this church, before we started, I, I desperately wanted it to be a place that um, is a place not just for ourselves, but for others. And so I was thinking about this, I'm like, what do I do? Well, I know, I need to have, con- I need to have conversations, not for people inside the church, but outside. So I went on something called Reddit, which is an online um, bulletin board post, and I posted this. I said, New York City pastor... Who wants to hang out for beer or coffee in New York? And to my surprise, lots of people replied. One time this guy said, hey, I brought brownies. I said, I love brownies. The guy said, yeah, well, these these brownies will help us connect. (laughs) And I said, I don't know if I want those brownies. So uh, I didn't have those brownies, but we still had a conversation. And and I had a lot. And the the theme was, the, the themes actually... Uh, uh, were, were very similar. Here was a the theme. Yeah, religion in general, and Christianity specifically, is regressive. It's exclusive. And we all know that truth is relative to who you are. And I was always a little snarky in these conversations. I'd say, yeah, you know, except for that truth, right? And they'd be like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you just said all truth is relative. And I said, you, what you really mean is all truth is relative except for that truth, because if all truth is relative, then so is the idea that all truth is relative, so I don't have to believe it, right? And they'd look at me like, uh, you're, ugh. But then they would push back and they'd say, okay, fine, but your, your truth is more exclusive. Your, your, tr- your truth excludes other people. At least mine, it's open for everybody because can, everybody can believe whatever they want to believe. And so the, and, and, uh, there's a subtle hint in that phrase. There's a hint of, ah, you know, you're not as... You, 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 you're, you're not in. You're not in the in group. You're too exclusive. You're too regressive. And so the question I want to ask you, are you willing to be looked down upon for what you believe? Are you willing to enter those conversations knowing what they might actually say and what they might think about you? New Yorkers love to um, ask the question, what do you do? You just hang out with a New Yorker long enough, and they'll say, what, what do you do? I hate that question. I go to uh, dinner parties or I'll meet people that will introduce me to their friends and they'll say, oh, what do you do? And this is what happens. I know it's coming. I say, I'm a minister. I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor. And you can see on their face in slow motion, it's like this. Uh, the, fa- the, the smile kind of goes up, but the teeth start getting exposed. And they're kind of like, uh. 
And so I start fumbling over my words. You know, they're, they're not, sometimes they're figuratively running away, but usually, it, sorry, sometimes they're physically, but a lot of times it's figuratively. So I go, no, 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 don't worry. I have a PhD in computational linguistics. It's kind of what chat GPT, no, no, no. And they'd run away. See, I'm looking for respect and value. I'm trying to show them that I'm, I'm, I'm worth spending time with, and it doesn't matter. They've left. I've met people in our church who are like right on the cusp of, they're not Christians, and they're, they're considering it, they're thinking about it, but here's what they're saying. They're saying, but what will my parents think? What will my friends think? They can't quite make that leap. I know Christians who intellectually believe in Christianity, but they don't want to associate with, with the church. They don't want to actually put themselves in the spaces where they would use their time and their resources. They don't want to tithe. They don't want to give they, because, you know, that's too much. To really seek Jesus is to seek everything that he's about, not just part of it. I don't want to just get a glimpse of his hair. I don't want to just get a glimpse of, of his, his feet or his hands. To really see Jesus is to seek all of Jesus. That's what we should be seeking. Now, last point, fine. If we did, if you actually saw Jesus, what would you find? I think there's two things that we see here in the text that we would find. Number one is we would find Jesus' persistence. Go back to the text, and in verse 5, when Jesus reaches the spot, he looks at Jesus and does two things. He says, come down, and I must stay with you. Some of you are like, well, so what? Well, it matters because if you go to verse 1, it says that Jesus was just passing through Jericho. He wasn't planning to stay. But now he meets Jesus, and now he is going to stay. And this is big for a few reasons. One, it's big because if you stay in somebody's house back then, see, for us, it's, we, we we're so, so individualistic, their house has no reflection on, on who I am. But back then, somebody's household was their entire reputation. And when you stayed with them, you were inside that reputation, all the honor, if they were honorable, but also all the shame, if they were shameful. And so can you imagine where most people, when they go into a new town, they would try to stay with the most honorable person to stay with. Jesus, to the horror of everybody else, public enemy number one, the very person you were trying to prevent to meet Jesus, Jesus stays with him. And on what basis, by the way, side point, what, on what basis does he stay with him? Does Jesus say, hey, clean up your reputation, and then I'll come over to your house? No. Does he say, hey, do a bunch of religious things. Do, you, know, you messed up in the past, but do a bunch of sacrifices, and then, you know, when I feel like you've purified yourself, then I'll come over to your house. No. Jesus says, I'm here. I've sought after you. I'm coming into your life, and I'm doing it not on the basis of anything else that you do. And so if you hear nothing else from me today than this, please hear this. Jesus comes into your life and requires nothing for him to stay with you. And this is so important because his presence is not earned. All you really need, if you want to know, what do I need to actually have Jesus stay with me? All you need is nothing. You don't need anything else. You need nothing else for that to happen. Secondly, it's a big deal because when, think about when this happens in Jesus' life. Zoom out a little bit. And Jesus is passing through Jericho. But where was he going? He's going to Jerusalem to die. So these are the precious last moments. This is actually the last conversation he has before he gets to Jerusalem. When you know that you're on death row, when you know you have only a couple 
more days left, you're going to try to spend that time as preciously as possible. And what does he do? He stays with this guy for the whole day. He stays with the guy that nobody else wants to stay with. And that's what I love, is that Jesus always comes after your heart before you even have a heart for him. Jesus takes up residence and stays with you and wants to be with you before you want to be with him. Notice in that, go back to our text, Zacchaeus only comes down from the tree after Jesus has already looked up and said, come down. Only after Jesus says, I'm staying with you, does, does Zacchaeus want to stay with him? Only after Jesus welcomes him and says, Zacchaeus, come down, does, G- does Zacchaeus actually do that? How's that encouraging? It's encouraging because you're saved not by your seeking. He sought you. Look, verse 3, Zacchaeus wants to get to Jesus, but what you find by verse 10, it's actually all along, it was him seeking after you. Some of you say, well, how can I actually know if Jesus seeks after me? Here's what's crazy. This is kind of crazy. What's crazy is if you want Jesus' presence in your life, if you say that, you could only say that because at some level he's already pursued you and come into your life. Because that's what, that's what the text is showing here. The only reason he, he, that Zacchaeus could w- be to welcome Jesus is because Jesus had already come after him. So you say, well, how do I know he really loves me? You know he loves you because he seeks after you. His persistence gives us that assurance. And so if you even have any level of desire to want to be there, it's because he already has sought after you in the first place. That's what verse 10 is saying. And if he does that for Zacchaeus, he can do it for you. And he will. Now, second last thing that we find here, the last thing is transformation. Zacchaeus might have gone up that tree, and we don't remember, again, we're not told why. Maybe it's because he was curious, maybe he's wanted to see who Jesus was, but he does not come down unless he's transformed. How do I know that? Look at the crowd. What does the crowd do? The crowd mutters. They mutter this. They say, he has gone to be with the guest of the sinner. They hated Zacchaeus so much. But look what happens in verse 7. Who becomes hated? Who are they muttering about? They're not muttering about Zacchaeus anymore. They're muttering about he who has gone to be with the guest of a sinner. He's t- they're talking about Jesus now. And I never noticed this until this week. But the climax of this story, the surprise, the secret, is that Jesus purposely shifts the hate from Zacchaeus to him. The disdain that Zacchaeus rightly deserved because of all the ways that he cheated and hurt the people around him now crashes in on Jesus. He takes the scorn of Zacchaeus. He takes what he deserves, and Jesus substitutes himself for him. And it's that movement, it's that moment, Zacchaeus sees it in front of him. That's what transforms Zacchaeus. Why? Because here's what happened in that moment. Zacchaeus realized that all the money that he wanted, all the power, all the acclaim, all the desire, all the respect, all the love that he wanted from these people and these things, it was never going to be enough. But when he saw Jesus do that for him, and he felt the love and care and acceptance that came from Jesus, he realized that's what he really wanted all along. And it filled him. It was enough. Do you notice that Jesus had never met Zacchaeus but calls him by name? Which means at some level, Zacchaeus must have been like, how does this guy know? I mean, there's a level of saying, there's something more here. 
that Jesus is offering. And I want to ask you the same thing. How about you? Are you willing to see that for you? You won't be transformed. You won't understand the true meaning of Christmas until you see Jesus has taken the wrath that you deserve. And he doesn't just lose his reputation, which is what's happening here. He loses his life. In fact, I, would, I can actually argue that the, the way to get Zacchaeus down from the tree, the only way he could do that is because Jesus knew at some level he was going to go up another tree, wasn't he? That the only way for you and me to come down at all from the, our trees is because Jesus was going to be nailed onto another one, onto a different one. See, Christians know this. And Yes, it's, a, it's an exclusive truth. Why is it exclusive? Because some people believe it, some people don't. But here's what's amazing. And here's the difference. While all truth is exclusive, all of them are, the core of Christianity is a man who dies for his enemies. And if you place that exclusive truth at the core of who you are, here's what you're going to do. You're going to die for your enemies, which will make that the most inclusive, exclusive truth. It's inclusive. Why? Because... If this is true and you make this the core of who you are, you're, gonna, you're not going to go out there and say us versus them. You're going to say, Why, what did I deserve? I'm going to go and love and serve and go out there and care for those people. But it's, it's exclusive because all truth is exclusive. Will you hold on to, will you make core the most inclusive, exclusive truth out there? When I volunteered at a homeless shelter when I was in college, I was there for only like a few Months And I remember kind of making notes about certain uh, individuals there. And I would, I, would, I would try so desperately to try to fix these people. To try to like, okay, what, what do they need? How do I get them uh, back to sustainability in society? And, and there was a, a woman who had been working there for 20 years. And she said, Mike, this is good. I'm, I'm glad that you're desiring this. I want them to get their lives together too. But ultimately, I want them to know Jesus' love for them first. And I, I, that always bothered me for a while, but here's what I think she was saying. She was saying this, you can restore people, you can get them back up on their feet, but if that's all you do and they don't have Jesus, they're just going to become members of the crowd. They're not going to know their need, they're not going to know the love, they're not going to see who Jesus really was, and which means they're just going to go right back to desiring and needing and hoping and the things that won't satisfy. His love comes to you in the moments that you most need it. And I've, I've walked with some of you folks, and I, the time when you're most sensitive and most willing to hear what Jesus wants to say to you, it's when you've lost, it's when you've been abandoned, it's when you feel lonely, it's when you feel most sad, it's when you feel most helpless. And it's in those spaces that Jesus' love transforms you. It happened to Zacchaeus, and it can happen to you. And what, what, what's the product? Go, go back to our text. In verse 8, what Zacchaeus says is, is I'm now going to... Stop cheating people. And this is actually kind of jarring if, if you think about how quick this happens. Because he says, I'm going to stop cheating people. This is from a man who spent a lifetime cheating and stealing from others. And all of a sudden, he doesn't need that anymore. In fact, he's empowered to lose it all, all the power and, and the money. In church, it's a common practice to give 10% of your, your income every year. And the reason why we do that is it's a way, you know, money's one of those easy things that we hold on to to feel secure and to feel like I'm something. And you, when you give away your funds, you literally are having to live at a lifestyle less than what you could have. But that's proof for yourself that 
you won't, you're not, you're not going to need this as much. It's proof to yourself that this is, doesn't have as much control over you anymore. That's common, 10%. But what does he do? 50%. Also, when you cheat somebody, there's a law in the Old Testament that says what you have to do is you have to give back all 100% and then 20% on top of that. But in our text, what does he do? He gives 400%, four times. So this is far beyond what is required, which shows us that he's not doing this because he has to. Okay, I guess I have to now live a good life now. No, he does this because he wants to. It doesn't have the power anymore. The powers that controlled him are disempowered. And he changes. And he goes about. Because why? Because now he has something that his wealth and his money could never do for him. And that's what? He had a joy and a contentment and a wonder and a love and a care that couldn't be taken away from him. Do you have that? I'm not saying intellectually. I'm not saying because you thought about it. I'm not saying because maybe you grew up in the, in the Christian tradition. I'm saying, do you actually live this way? You need to know this, that when you meet Jesus, when the things that you thought, you, you know you met Jesus when the things that you thought you needed for happiness, you don't need them as much, and you can give them away. There's this really quick scene in Lord of the Rings where they're trying to destroy the ring, and they, it's really quick, but they go through a, a land where there's this guy named Tom Bombadil. And this ring that always tries to answer and speak to your desires and give you what you want, he puts this ring on his finger. You know what happens? Nothing. And it's, it, no, we're never told why. And people have theorized it, but I, I think it's because if you, if you know about Tom Bombadil, he doesn't need the ring. He doesn't seek it. He doesn't desire it. And so it has no control over him. You know that you have Jesus' heart when you realize the things of this world that normally would control you don't have that same control anymore. Last thing I'll say is this. <clears throat> I was watching some of those videos you know, that, that you, you see online of, of service men or women that come home after uh, being away in service uh, in the army, sometimes after months, after years. And there was this boy who was asked, what do you want for Christmas? And he was like, I want video games, and I want baseball cards. And so Christmas shows up, and he gets video games, he gets baseball cards, but there's this, there's this one last present in the corner. And he opens it up, and it's his father. And he's overjoyed. He jumps into his, his father's arms. And what I love about that is, do you think he cared about any of those other gifts anymore? Do you think the video games, do you think they, they, they could hold one sway over him? The love that he felt from his father filled any of the other needs that he thought he needed in that moment. And what I love about that is that if we saw this Christmas that we have the same present wrapped up for us, the eternal love and care of the father found in the beauty and sacrifice of Jesus, how would that change us? See, what the boy doesn't understand is as much as he clung to that dad, that dad, what did he do? It, he went through hell and back to get back to him. And he had no idea. He didn't know it at any level, but he did. And that father clung to that son, and that son was filled because he had what he really longed for. It's the same for Zacchaeus, and it's the same for you and I. Have you received him into, into your heart? Have you received your heavenly father Christmas what is Christmas? It's the story of Jesus saying, I'm coming to you. I'm staying with you. There's nothing more you have to do. And when we let that happen, it 
will we change? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Father, we rejoice and wonder in this. Father, I pray for all of us in this room, no matter where we're coming from, no matter what stage of belief, I think, I just pray for, as New Yorkers, we have intellectual honesty about what we're allowing into our lives that have sway. What are we hoping and trusting in? And can we see that those things won't be enough? Father, a lot of things are good. Families are good. Jobs are good. Money is good. These are good things. But, Father, when we put them in the places that we're, we're letting them operate, they can't give us what we need. Father, help us to admit this. Help us to see it. If we might have seen it before, help us see it again and again and again because it's in those needs, in those spaces where we throw off convention, where we be willing to lose our dignity and, lo and lose the claim of others to climb up the tree to get a glimpse of you. And when we see you, Father, what will we see? We'll see you transferring all the things that we thought we needed onto you. We'll, we'll, do, we'll be transferring all that, that valid hate that others have towards us, and we will see that you've taken it across and loved us through it. Turn our hearts and minds towards you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.